Mark chapter number 10, verse number 17, very familiar portion of Scripture. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt this morning that I have the message of the hour. And I just need you to lend me your ear for just a few minutes. There's folks that stand in this building just like every service that we ever have. And you're weighed in the balance. And I know without any shadow of a doubt that there are individuals that stand in this congregation this morning. In the past 24 and 48 hours, God has troubled your waters. And you need to understand what it takes to get in this morning and what it takes to be born again of the Spirit of God. If you'll look with me in Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 17... The Lord Jesus had just disputed with the Pharisees over the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And then the Lord Jesus had shown great tenderness with the children and said, Suffer the little children to come unto Him. Verse number 17, after this display of His authority and then immediately pursuant to that, there was a great display of His tenderness and His love. Verse 17 said, When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Boy, there's a profound question this morning. Verse 18, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. If God will be my helper this morning, I'm just going to expound these scriptures I won't give you a three-point outline with a funny story to conclusion. I'm just going to expound the Word of God on the simple subject of so close, but yet so far away. When you look into this Scripture, the Word of God tells us that there came one running. This man this morning no doubt was drawn to the Lord Jesus. You do realize this morning that John chapter 6 verse number 44 says, The Lord Jesus said, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You cannot just come to Jesus anytime you want to. I don't care what the liberal theologians say this morning. God's not just sitting on his throne taking volumes and and a nervous jerk hoping that you'll come, hoping that you'll get in. He's a sovereign God and he gives a sovereign call, a sovereign invitation for you to come. And if you miss your invitation, you go to hell. Amen. 
And the Word of God teaches us that there was something that this young man saw or heard that compelled him in desperation to haste. No doubt the unseen hand of the Spirit of the living God had troubled his soul. And he was moved by and toward the Son of God. If you have any inkling of God in your mind this morning, it's a gift from God. If God's troubled you, I realize there's individuals that you thought more about God in the last six weeks than you have your entire life. That's God dealing with you. That's God drawing you to his holy self. That's God getting your attention. The word of God said, not only was he troubled, not only was he drawn of God, the word of God said, and he kneeled to him. This man was not only drawn to the Son of God, but in an act of humility and in an outward display of emotion and contrition, this rich young ruler willingly knelt in a submissive posture in the presence of the sovereign King of glory. That's a good place to get started. But I want you to notice this morning, even though this young man was willing outwardly, publicly to fall down before the Son of God, he still died and went to hell. That man had an audience with the King of Glory. This was his opportunity. This was his time. God had his ear and he had God's ear. This was a transaction of business between a man and a sovereign God. You don't get saved for your mama. You don't get saved for your daddy. You don't get saved for your husband or for your wife. It's a transaction between you and Jesus Christ. I love some of you. I've been honored to get to pray with some of you. I've been honored to get to counsel with some of you and love you and pour my heart into some of you. But when it boils right down to it, salvation is between you and God. And while many ask questions like this young man asked, this morning many ask questions to reinforce and justify their own twisted views and opinions. You ever notice that? People ask you a question, they know the answer before they ever ask. They don't want to know the answer to the question, they want to justify themselves. But apparently this rich young ruler, in refreshing honesty, Wanted to know how to be saved. I believe this morning there may be men, there may be women sitting in this building this morning. And in your heart you want to know how to be saved. You've tried religion, you've tried to pray prayers, you've tried baptism, you've tried confirmation, you've tried everything you could try. But in your heart you want to know. How must I receive eternal life? He was sincere enough to pose this sincere question, yet he was unprepared and unwilling to embrace the answer. Verse number 18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. In verse number 18, the Lord Jesus, through great wisdom of words, confirmed his own deity. He revealed his holy self and removed any question in the mind of this young man. The Lord Jesus Christ just as well as said, I am God. 
Did you know this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ has a wonderful, holy, supernatural way of letting sinners know He's real? You see, we live in a day when we're bombarded with hypocrites. We live in a day where we're bombarded with people who are eat up with religion, but they do not know God. I mean, they can shout and hoop and holler and run the backs of the benches, and they do not know God. Listen, sinners are not stupid. I don't know why people think folks are so dumb. Sinners see through that mess. But you know when sinners get disheartened and they look around and they wonder, is anybody real? Is any of this really real? I mean about old time religion and salvation. Is it real? The sweet Holy Ghost of God has got a way of coming to a sinner and moving in their heart and letting them know, yes, I'm real. Boy, I thank God Jesus let this boy know he was real. Verse number 19. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not... Kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Verse number 19, Christ spake of upright moral conduct. And this young man begins to tell the Lord Jesus, like a lot of good, well-meaning Baptists, just how good he is. But good, well-meaning moral conduct don't mean salvation. As a matter of fact, this morning, it's almost easier to do almost anything than really get saved. And the Word of God teaches us in verse number 20 that he proceeds to tell the Lord how good he's been. And without reservation, this man was convinced and determined that it was so. This man was absolutely convinced he'd been a pretty good fellow. When I was lost, I was probably one of the most wicked, vile individuals that ever lived. And back a little while back, I went down to his house down the road here. And I sat on his couch and I began to witness to him and tell him about what God had done for me and how God had changed my life. And that old boy looked at me and he had seen me in the worst possible conditions I'd ever been in. And that old boy looked at me and said, Well, Mike, I didn't ever think you was all that bad. (laughs) You know what the problem is? Comparing ourselves among ourselves. And God said, Ye are not wise. You can compare yourself with everybody in the building this morning, but everybody in the building is not the standard. The sweet Lord Jesus Christ is the standard, and we don't measure up. And then you move to verse number 21. The Word of God said, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Sure. That word, beholding him, means that the Lord Jesus gazed upon this young man as if to adore him as a valued treasure. The Lord Jesus Christ looked at this rich young ruler and in his heart he said this is what I've come for. This is what I've come to bleed and die for. Jesus loves sinners this morning. Number one qualification of getting saved, you've got to get lost first. The Word of God tells us that the Lord Jesus loved him. John 3, 16, so often quoted and so few times ever pondered and thought about. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, that ain't an intellectual belief. That word believe means to commit yourself to Him as if entering into a covenant of marriage. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I like the next verse. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't condemn this rich young ruler. He didn't mess with him and he didn't try to beat him in the ground and smack him down with the laws of God. He tried to help this young man. He loved him. He cared about him. And this morning there's much I could say about the love of Christ this morning, but I know so very little. But I know this morning Jesus loves sinners. And I know Jesus put it in my heart this morning to love sinners. But at this point, you see the Lord Jesus tells him, He said in verse number 21, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come, take up thy cross and follow me. At this point in the conversation, the sweet Lord Jesus reveals the fundamental, rudimentary, essential missing element that stood between this man and eternal life. Jesus put his finger... On that man's little God. The night I got saved, Jesus put his finger on my little God. My little God was my pride, my arrogance, my self-conceit, my self-will. And in this, don't you let this get you off track this morning. This man's God was his money. You say, Brother Mike, this can't pertain to me. I ain't got none. Don't let that throw you off. Because your God may not be money, but if you're lost, you've got one. His money was his self-sufficiency. You listen to me. Don't lose me here. It was his security. He trusted in his money for all of his needs. It was his source of hope. His security, his pleasure, his contentment was all wrapped up in his money. You say, Brother Mike, how's that pertain to me? I ain't got none. Jesus didn't want his money. Jesus wanted his heart. That's what this gets down to this morning. This is where I'm trying to go this morning. Jesus wasn't wanting that old boy's money. Jesus was wanting his heart. And you see, there's a lot of folks that come to altars like this old boy was dealt with. He came, no doubt, trembling before the Son of God. And he knelt in contrition before Jesus and said, What must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus said, Give me a heart. Oh, man. We done stepped in deep water there. Because everything he had done up until this point was easy. I mean, he had kept the laws of God. He had kept the commandments, 613 different laws and commandments. And this man had walked circumspectly before God in light of the righteousness that's in the law. But there's one thing missing. Jesus was asked what was the greatest of the commandments. And the Son of God said this, To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart 
And the second like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. When I was lost, I was one of the most selfish individuals that ever lived. I'm ashamed this morning, but I had everything I wanted. Every dollar I had, I made money hand over fist. I blew it and threw it away hard as I could go with fancy cars and all kinds of special hot rod stuff in my life. And I allowed my wife to go to work without lunch money. I was selfish and I wanted what I wanted. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, what I want is your heart. You know what God does when you give Him your heart? He takes that old dirty, filthy, despicable mess of heart you got and He washes it in the water of the Word of God and in the blood of Christ and He gives it back to you and gives you a brand new heart. Gives you the love of Christ that you've never had before. There are certain difficulties that I have in my life, and I'm just bearing my soul this morning. There's folks sitting in this building this morning that preacher Mike loves you with all of his heart. And it's not me, it's God in me that loves you. And sometimes I wrestle, and I have so much frustration because I've got so much love that comes from God that I want to share with you that I do not know how to express and show you how much I love you. That's not me. That's the work of God and the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't want his money. He wanted his heart. This man's money gave him a sense of control. And not for one second did this young ruler want to relinquish control. That's where some of you sit this morning. That's what's standing between you and getting saved. Somewhere, somehow, there's something in your heart you're in control of. Your wife don't know about it. Your husband may not know about it. Your family may have never seen it before. But deep down in your heart, there's something that you love and you're holding on to and you're keeping the door cracked just a little bit just in case you want to make a mad dash out. Not willing to surrender. Something you're holding on to. You say, Brother Mike, I'm not rich. It's not my money. It may be a million different things that give you that confidence and give you that pleasure this morning. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of lives that are destroyed. Broken homes and broken families and broken lives and broken promises and shattered dreams. And through bitterness and discomfort, men recess into their own little world. And when men get into their own little world, they find their own little comfort zone. It may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be pornography or illicit sex. It may be religion. But somehow, people in their hurt... And I know people get hurt and they ball up in a knot and in their bitterness, they say, I'm not going to be hurt again. I'm never going to give up again. I, I've seen men. I, I, I knew a man one time, he said, as a child, he had to wear bibbed overalls all of his life. And he was so ashamed as a child, always having to wear bibbed overalls. And some of his friends at school had jeans and sneakers. And he wore his old brogans and his bibbed overalls. And he decided as an adult man, he had never owned a pair of bibbed overalls. He so despised them. There was a hurt, there was a bitterness in him. That he was protecting himself from. 
And there's some of you this morning, there are things in your heart you think you're protecting and you're holding on to. But this morning, that very thing that you're holding on to, God don't want your thing. He don't want your drugs. He don't want your illicit sex. He don't want your alcohol. He don't want your promiscuity. He wants your heart. As you look at this, total surrender makes folks feel vulnerable and uncomfortable. But this morning, partial surrender is total rebellion. God ain't interested in a ceasefire. He wants you to surrender. Total surrender this morning. A lot of folks say, I want to keep my control, but they don't realize they're not in control at all. This morning, do you understand you're really not in control of anything if you're lost? Satan's such a deceiver and he's such a liar that he makes you think that you're partying, you're having a good time, you're living the way you want to live, you're working for what you want to work for, you're striving to have what you want to have, you're going to have pleasure in what you're going to have, but you don't realize you're not in control, not one minute. Satan is dangle that like a carrot in front of you and making an absolute F-O-O-L fool out of you. And one day you'll fall headlong into hell. And Satan's made a fool out of you. This morning I'm going to wind her up right here. What a tragedy for this young man to be so close. But yet so far away. He was drawn by the Son of God. He was troubled by the Holy Ghost. He was humbled publicly. He was loved by the Son of God. And he was enlightened to his need. That's why some of you this morning can come to these altars. And you can bow down and you can pray and you can cry bitter tears. You've been troubled by the Spirit of God. You've been drawn by the Holy Ghost. You've been enlightened to what your problem is. But you get to this altar, you cry and you pray, and you cannot get peace. Because you've tried to give God everything but your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your undying love and affection. He wants you to want Him more than you want anything. He wants you to want Him more than you want your next breath. He wants you to want Him more than any worldly pleasure. He wants you to want Him more than any security you've ever built up in your heart. you got to want Him. That's part of biblical repentance. When you're willing to turn your back on everything. I remember, Brother Jesse, the night I got saved, I wanted Jesus more than I wanted anything in this world. My God had been myself and my music career and my pride. But the night I got saved, I laid my God down. And I got the God because there was a willingness in my heart. I wanted Him with my heart. Are you seeing what I'm saying this morning? You ain't got to give up nothing. You say, Brother Mike, I got to give up. I got to give up this or I got no. You're not understanding. You don't give up anything. You just give God your heart. He takes it and changes it. And all of a sudden, the things you used to love are despicable and filthy. When I got saved, I did not have to try to stop cussing. God broke my cusser. 
When I got saved, I did not have to try to temper myself. When I came in and I turned on that TV that I'd turned on every day of my life and watched that from the time I got home from work to the time I went to bed, and all of a sudden when I got born of the Spirit of God, seeing naked people cuss didn't do anything for me anymore. It vexed me and it grieved me and it hurt my spirit. I didn't want to see it. I don't want to be around folks because you know why God changes your heart. You say, I've got to give up something. I'm going to give you this. We're going to go to the house. Verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. Look what Jesus said. He made an absolute promise. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive, look at this, a hundredfold. N-O-W. Now. In this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. I stand before you this morning as a living testimony. When I got saved, there was a time in my life where I was making money hand over fist. And I was throwing it away quicker than I knew what to do with it. I never had nothing when I was lost. I had an old red Corvette car and a bunch of bills. But it wasn't until I got saved. And the first thing went the night I got saved. At that time, probably about 25% of my income left the night I got saved. Because I quit playing the bars and the juke joints. When we got right with God, my wife, and I really got right with God, my wife left her job and tried to follow the Lord and tried to do what was right. We lost another 50% of our income. But somehow or another, the sweet, sovereign God of glory began to bless me and help me more than I ever, ever dreamed about having when I was living in sin. Now, I'm just telling you the financial part. Many years ago, in the early 1900s, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived and walked these hills was a man of God by the name of Dr. Percy Ray. Dr. Percy Ray, I've given some of you CDs of Dr. Ray in that service of a lifetime. Dr. Percy Ray, God had dealt with him about his soul salvation, Brother Wesley. And shortly after Brother Percy Ray surrendered to God, God called Brother Percy Ray to preach. But while God was dealing with Brother Ray about preaching, a Hollywood movie production studio came to that little old country boy in Myrtle, Mississippi and offered him a five-year, $500,000 a year contract to come to Hollywood and be a movie star. $2.5 million during the Depression to a country boy in Myrtle, Mississippi. And the night that Percy Ray lay and he had to have that contract back, and he wept before God and he said, God, can't I live for you in Hollywood? Can't I be a witness and a light in Hollywood? 
God said, I've called you to preach. You're going to preach, boy. God throwed the contracts down, told his family, God's called me to preach. His neighbors begin to send sympathy cards to his mother and say, we're sorry you have such an indigent, ignorant son that he'd preach instead of going to Hollywood for millions of dollars. Percy Ray's mother began to curse him with all kinds of vile obscenities and said what she thought about those that were stupid enough to listen to him preach and said, Percy Ray, don't ever let your shadow darken the door of this house again. A 22-year-old young man with no money, no car, set out on foot, walked across the state line out of Mississippi into Tennessee, saw a church, an old school building. The window sills had rotted out. The boards was off and falling down. And Percy Ray said, okay, God, you call me to preach. Might as well start right here. Man of God, full of the Holy Ghost, walked in an abandoned schoolhouse, started shouting and praising God. And when he did, he looked out the window and saw people peeping around the trees looking at him. When he saw people, he started preaching. And they started coming in the building. And they'd leave the building. He'd keep preaching. They'd come back with more people. And pretty soon the whole building was full of people. I'm telling you the truth. Percy Ray got through preaching that day and there was an old snowy-haired gentleman came to Percy. And he said, boy, he said, will you go home and eat lunch with me? He said, ain't like I got nowhere else to go. He said, boy, jump up on that stump right there and tell these people you'll come back and holler at them after a while. He said, I'll be back at 3 o'clock and holler at you some more. All of them lost. This snowy-haired gentleman. He took Percy Ray to his house and fed him lunch, Brother James. And Percy Ray, he figured out real quick he didn't have anywhere to go. And he said, boy, will you come back? Will you spend the night with us? Will you stay here tonight? He said, I will. He said, my mom has run me off. I've been run off. He said, do you reckon your mom and your daddy would let me adopt you? He said, I'm an old man. And me and my wife's always wanted a son. We've always wanted a boy. Do you reckon your parents would let us adopt you? He said, sir, they've done run me off. But I'll stay. That old man took him back to preach and the next morning at daylight, he woke Brother Percy up and made breakfast for him and gave him the keys to his car and said, son, go visit all them people. What need visiting? And he said, and don't you come back till dark. But at dark, you be back here. Percy Ray went witnessing, took that man's car. I mean, a boy run off from home. Now he's driving some man's car, eating some man's groceries, out preaching the gospel and visiting lost folks. That night he came back to the house at dark. And he said, that old man took out a key and said, come here, boy. And while Percy was gone during that day, that man had hired a construction crew that had come in and built an addition onto his house. A truck arrived with a bedroom suit from the furniture store. And God gave that man everything and more than what he gave up when he walked out of his house. Percy Ray wound up winning one of the greatest prophets of God in modern day history. Amen. You know what he did? 
He gave Jesus his heart. Hey, he ain't interested in your sin. He ain't interested in your pet pleasures. He's not interested in your alcohol or drugs or nothing else. He wants your heart. He ain't interested in your religion or your good works. He wants your heart. And if you'll give him your heart, he'll give it back clean and new with new desires and a love that you've never experienced and you've never felt. This morning, just as sure as your name's what it is, God's dealt with me about three individuals that are sitting in this room today. God wants to save your soul. You're going to have to give Him your heart. That's what He wants. It ain't all about a public profession and confession. It's not all about weeping tears. It's not all about whether you come to an altar and what kind of prayer you pray. But it's about giving Him your heart. That's why God's got to wear some of us out so bad. That's why God's got to beat some of us down so bad and break us down like a double-barrel shotgun in conviction to get us to the place where we want God more than we want anything. And when you get to that place, then you truly want Him more than you want anything, more than anything in this world. You're willing to give Him your heart. He'll save you and He'll change you. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes this morning. He loves you. Oh, He cares about you. He wouldn't draw you. He wouldn't disturb you and trouble your water if He didn't care. God put it in people's hearts to labor over you and pray. You may think nobody knows, but God knows. There may be saints of God this morning that know what you're going through. You need help this morning. And what you need to give God is your heart this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, nobody looking.